Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Good morning. The reading this morning is from Genesis 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Make everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honour accorded to me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him, weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this, load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You are also directed to tell them, do this. Take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your father and come. 
Never mind about your belongings, because the best of all Egypt will be yours. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts, as Pharaoh had commanded, and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father, ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they were leaving, he said to them, Don't quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Israel set out with all that was his. And when he reached Bathsheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again, and Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Then Jacob left Bathsheba, and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Carol, for reading reading that. Uh, Carol was given very little notice for, for reading that, and uh, it looked as though she'd been preparing all week. But uh, thank you very much. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to look at your word today, we pray that you will open our eyes that we may see, open our ears that we may hear, and open our hearts that we may respond to what your word is saying to us. Because we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, what would you have done? If you'd been Joseph, I mean. Consider for a moment what had happened to him. He'd been brought up in a large family. He had ten brothers that were older than him, and, and they disliked him. They, they disliked him very much indeed. Uh, he was his father's favorite, and, and maybe he had been a, a bit arrogant, telling his father whenever his brothers did something wrong, telling his brothers about the vision that he had where they all bowed down to him. And he did wear around the place that flashy coat that his father had given him. But that was no excuse for deciding to kill him and then changing their minds when they saw a chance to earn some money by selling him to a group of Ishmaelites. I mean, how mean and how hurtful could you be to do that? It, it was an absolutely despicable thing to do. And now they'd come down to Egypt because there was a famine in their land and they were desperate for food. 
And Joseph was in charge of the food in Egypt. And he just told them who he was. It was showdown time. Their lives were in his hands. So what would you have done? Imprisoned them? Well, that's a possibility. They, they deserved it. That would teach them what it's like to deny somebody their freedom. Kill them? Well, that was only what they intended to do to him. Well, the brothers knew what Joseph might do, and we're told they were terrified. But Joseph decided to forgive the brothers who had been so awful to him, and they were given some good land to settle in, and when Pharaoh heard about it, he made sure that they were given all they needed by way of food and clothing. Wow, what an incredible example. Not, not just of forgiveness, but of the power of forgiveness. Do you know, in all our relationships with people, there's a power to create and there's a power to destroy. And if Joseph had decided to punish his brothers, as was his right, they would have been destroyed. And, and the community, or later the, the people of Israel, would never have existed. He wasn't condoning his brothers in any way, but he chose to use his power to be creative. And as a result, the relationship with his family was restored. Well, the pluses of doing that, as far as Joseph was concerned, were plain to see. I mean, it must have always hurt him that his brothers had turned against him, and seeing their remorse must have brought some relief. And it must have been great to see his father again and take up the chance of doing that. That must have been incredibly exciting. But you know, there's some important lessons for us in this. I mean, in particular, that when we're wronged, reconciliation has to begin with us. We've got to give up something, our right to revenge. But people who are able to do that often find that the feelings of anger and stress, depression may be, that are caused by that broken relationship disappear. It can set us free, just as we've set free the, that person who's caused us the problem. You know, in our church vision statement, one of the objectives we mention is that we seek to be a place of Christ-centered revival. Well, in some of the great revivals of the past, such as the Welsh Revival at the beginning of the 20th century, one of the notable features was that they invariably began with a, a great outpouring of confession and asking for forgiveness amongst Christians. People were actually standing up in the aisles and asking for forgiveness for the bad way they treated each other. Jesus said we must forgive people who wrong us. He knew the creative power that forgiveness could bring. And of course, there's no greater example of forgiveness than Jesus on the cross, making it possible for each one of us to be reconciled to God, a reconciliation that because of our sin, we didn't deserve. Jesus had to give up something to do this, his human life. But he had the joy of knowing that he defeated the power of death for those who want life with God. So Joseph saw what a creative thing it is to forgive, but there was one overriding motivation that he had. He saw God's planning in this situation. In verse 5, he says, it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. In verse 7, he says, God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. 
So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. In fact, after his, his father Jacob died, his brothers got rather anxious that he might actually change his mind and decide to take revenge on them after all. But Joseph reassured them, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what's being done, the saving of many lives. It's amazing, isn't it, that Joseph could see through what, it, what he'd been through. And it was all part of God's plan to do something good. Theologians call that uh, God's providence. That's a word Jonathan Findlater introduced us to two weeks ago. The word providence originates from two Latin words, pro meaning ahead, videre meaning to see. God sees ahead and plans accordingly. And in the case of Joseph, he was using what happened to Joseph for good, the saving of the children of Israel. Paul hit on this subject of God intending things for good when he was writing to the Romans. He wrote, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Now that's a verse that's popped up a few times during this series, but it's worth having a good look at it. But before we go anywhere, we must note that Paul's assertion relates to those who love God. It's not a general comment that will apply to all people. It's specifically a statement about those who have made that personal commitment to God and enjoy a personal relationship with him as a result, those who love him. So what's Paul saying? He's saying that if we love God in all things, not just some things or even most things, but in all things, God is working for our good. You know, there's a great danger when we look at this verse that we romanticize it and and take the verse out of context. Paul isn't saying that whatever happens to a Christian is good. Really bad things can happen to Christians sometimes. In fact, that the whole of Paul's letter was written against a background of bad things happening to the Christians in Paul's time. I mean, he starts in verse 18 of that chapter by saying, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He says a bit later in the passage, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? They were going through a terrible time. There's no doubt about it. And bad things can happen to us too. Perhaps not as bad as the people that Paul's time had to go through. But life can be very rough at times. But what Paul is saying is that in all things, even things like hardship, persecution, trouble, God is working for our good. You you might say, well, hang on for a moment. Are you telling me that in this really hard situation I'm in at the moment that God is working for my good? Yeah, that's what Paul's telling us. He's working in your current situation as part of his plan for your good. I mean, think about what's happened so far in the story about Joseph. In everything that's happened to him, God's working towards the achievement of his plan. God's plan was for him to be in Egypt to organize famine relief. And we read in in chapter 50, the saving of many lives. And and to set up a base also for the creation of a home for the Israelites for hundreds of years. That's the plan. And when Joseph was thrown into a cistern and left to die, 
God thought, I want God in Egypt. Sorry, I want want Joseph in Egypt. So I'm going to allow for the, the Midianites who are on their way to Egypt to come along just at the right time and pay for him. And he made sure it was Potiphar he got sold to, the captain of Pharaoh's household. And when Potiphar's wife made a pass at Joseph and had it rejected and then had Joseph thrown into prison, well, that that was bad news, really bad news. But God used that opportunity to put Joseph in the cell with the cupbearer because he knew a cupbearer was going to have a dream that Joseph could interpret. And that meant that a couple of years later when Pharaoh needed somebody to interpret his dreams. The cupbearer was able to say, I know somebody who can help you. And that enabled Pharaoh to get to know Joseph and realize how good he was. And that enabled Joseph to get the top job in Egypt. And because he had the top job, it was to him that his brothers went for help. I mean, do you see what was happening? In all things that were happening to Joseph, the bad things as well as the good things, God was using them to achieve his plan for good. But there's one important thing to note here. You you can't necessarily stop a story in the middle and see how what we're going through is, is part of God's plan for our good. I'm quite sure that when Joseph was thrown into a cistern by his brothers, he couldn't see God working for good in that situation, or indeed how he's working for the good of the Israelites. Later, when he was thrown into prison, and after being wrongly accused by Potiphar's wife, Being thrown into a cistern and being thrown into prison would have been ghastly things to happen. And Joseph probably thought that his end had come. It was only when he got the top job and met his brothers that he could step back and say, I can see that God ordained all of this. So too with us. I mean, we might be right in the middle of a really turbulent time at the moment. And if we stop now and try to ask you, How's God working in you for good in, in your situation? You might well say, I haven't a clue. It may be sometime in the future before we can see how God's plan was put together. It may not be until we reach heaven that it all gets revealed. That was the case for the early Christians who were thrown to the lions. The God on that occasion was their ultimate salvation. That's what God was working on, their ultimate salvation, eternal life with him. Indeed, that's the ultimate good for all of us who love God. Eternal life with him in heaven. But what we do know is that he's working his plan for your good right now. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, understanding God's working for our good, it's got very important implications for us in our lives the first thing it does is it frees us from bitterness. I mean, if any man had a right to feel bitter, it was Joseph. Bitter against his brothers, bitter against having to work as a slave, bitter against Potiphar's wife, bitter against whoever threw him into prison. But he didn't feel bitterness in the end because he saw God was taking these bad situations and and finding an opportunity in them to further his plan for good. We might get bitter because we've been badly treated, we've been let down, we've suffered a serious injustice. We think that God isn't involved in our situation and we we want to take revenge in some form. 
but we've got no right to cling to anger and harbor bitterness because God is working for our good in whatever we're going through, whatever we've been through, or whatever we will go through in the future. He's working for our good in that situation. The second thing God's providence does for us is it gives us courage to keep going in hard times. It doesn't make all the problems go away. It doesn't always give us an easy road, but it it does tell us that there's a pattern to the seemingly random events of life, and God is using them to create something wonderful for us. And you know, because of that, if God subtracted one pain, one heartache, one disappointment from my life, I, I might be less than the person that God wants me to be. A third thing about God's providence is that it helps us to have an insight into Jesus' death. In the book of Acts, we read Peter saying, This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Well, there you've got two sides of the story. On the one hand, his death was put into effect by wicked men. I mean, there was no excuse for them. It was an appallingly evil thing to do. But God was working on a plan, the saving of many lives. Heard that expression before? He wanted everyone to have a chance to be made new and to have eternal life with him if they wanted to. He was working for good in that situation. He used that evil deed that was committed as part of the fulfillment of that plan. And God was working for Jesus's good as well, as he raised, was raised to sit at God's right hand as a reward. You know, it doesn't in any way excuse those who crucified Jesus. But it does show how God can be working for good, even in horrible situations. So, back to Joseph. It's, it's a terrific story, and, and we've got to thank Joseph for giving us a great example of the constructive power of forgiveness for sticking at it when things got tough and for allowing God to work for good in his situation, whether whether things were, were good or whether things were bad. Let's step back in our present situation and say, in all things, God is working for my good. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.